my story, I said this, Emily has sort of ceased to be a human the last week. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story about a city that, why is it just as much of a shit show as my life? Um, and that is London. And I, in my Google Docs, this story is called, Why Would Anyone Live in London? Question mark. And Jennifer is a ghoul, so you already know that it burned down in 1666. So I did have three things, and the journalist in me is like, you must always have three things, but I only have two. And it's fine, because these are great stories on their own. Is, is it fine, Emily? I don't know. Is it know. fine that it took away the fire from you? Yep, it's fine. Okay, so fuck 1666 whatever it was a boring year so let's just start in 1858 uh this is straight up victorian times which has been a real theme this season we're actually all things victorian i we we're like all things victorian the shit talk edition (laughs) just just talking shit about the victorian era how could you not want to listen to this well i said it was straight up victorian times because victoria was queen (laughs) Also, this is an aside, and um, Clint's going to hate it, but when I was researching this to make sure that that was accurate, I found this badass story about Queen Victoria, uh, and I'll just read it to you. On 29th May, 1842, Victoria was riding in a carriage along the mall, London, whatever the fuck that means, when John Francis aimed a pistol at her, but the gun did not fire. The assailant escaped. However, the following day, Victoria drove the same route, though faster and with a greater escort, in a deliberate attempt to provoke Francis to take a second aim and catch him in the act. As expected, Francis shot at her, but he was seized by plainclothes policemen and convicted of high treason. How badass is that? She's like, I'll be the bait. (laughs) Also, she proposed to her husband. You know, I feel like... I do. I would love to talk about Queen Victoria because there's so much that's interesting about her, but we can't. We can't because she's not. Well, I guess in some ways she could be a terror. We'll have to talk about that at a different time. Yeah, I just I just found that and thought, you know what? There's a little bit of happiness, some upshot, this badass story. Because 1858 is gonna be real gross. This is the epic apex of emily and all things terror 1858 the year of our lord in london was the great stink have you heard of this the great stink Mm-hmm. no but i really want this to be like the title of my next book yeah so originally i was gonna have the great fire the great stink and something else that i'll end with but we're just starting with the great stink it's amazing you're going to giggle and love this because I get to talk about a bunch of things that I love to talk about. Probably poop. Mm-hmm. Oh, girl. There, <laughs> there's poop running rampant in the streets, robbing banks, insulting women, looking at their ankles. You have no idea. So let's just start with 1858 was hot. It was a heat wave. One source said that the heat wave was like 90 degrees, which like, you and I both live places where it regularly gets over 100, so we're like, what is Whatever. that? But for London, I guess they're like, oh, fuck, this is bad. 
But there's also this problem, which London is a really, really old, like it's an ancient city. And like a lot of very old cities, there are two things that are happening. One, it's built around a waterway um, because before, you know, transportation was reliable and mechanized and stuff, you needed to be near water for drinking water and transportation and yada, yada. So London is like that. If you picture... London, you picture Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament and London Bridge and in all of those images there's a river running through it because there is a river running through the middle of London and this is yep. the this is the Thames. And I know it looks like Thames, but it's pronounced Thames. It's pronounced Thames. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> this is why you have no friends. I'm taking your friends away from you. You don't get to steal my line. I did, because that's how bad Tame was. <laughs> so yeah, so the river Tame runs through London, and this is what's going on in 1858. So London is built on these ancient works, right? It's like ancient city, and then they just build on top of it. And in 1858, we've got a couple things going on. One, and, and this is basically how I'm going to set this up. I'm going to talk about what contributed to the Great Stink, and then essentially what it was, and then there's some fallout. So in 1858, all of a sudden, there are a ton of people who moved to London. It's sort of the Industrial Revolution, and so a lot of people who would have been farmers are like, uh, what the hell, I can live in the big city and work in a factory and make like twice as much money? Fuck yeah. So we get a big influx of people, and you live in Austin, so you can imagine nowadays what that's like, and there's just traffic. But in 1858, what happened was that people were basically living in, like, tenement slum-type places. And so you would have, like, multi-story apartment buildings without toilets or bathrooms. Um, they would have outhouses. And suddenly you have tons of people living in a space that really was not designed for that. And just keep in mind, it wasn't too long ago in the, in the timeline here from when people were like taking shits and like bowls and dumping it out on the streets. This is still that time, my friend. I didn't know they did that through the Victorian era. Oh, Interesting. yeah. Okay, continue. So thank you for setting me up for this. So this is how the majority of London, and at this point we're looking at like two or three million people, which is, that's a lot of people. Um, that's, that's a legitimate size city. And so for the majority of it, this is how they got rid of their poops. And there's two things that I will tell you, and they are both horrifying and gross, and I am so happy I get to talk about them. So we're talking about the tenements. We're talking about the, you know, people that just moved in off the farms. They're living in these basements. And this is how they get rid of waste, which is, again, this is like human urine and shit. So you might have an outhouse that would be like in your backyard or courtyard, but you might have a cellar or a basement that you would just walk down and throw your bucket in. And you know when I said you might have an outhouse in the backyard? Well, your backyard might just be a cesspit. And this is not a euphemism. This is literally they would just make pits of waste and like wait for it to like sink into the ground. And that's how they would get rid of it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah. It brings a, a whole new meaning to, like, mud wrestling. Mm-hmm. I read this book about, well, I'll tell you in a second. But this guy was going to one of these, and 
he was like, hey, I'm investigating this thing. Uh, what's going on? Where do you like throw your poop? And they're like, oh, in the cellar. And he's like, yeah, it was just like it would have been like above my knees of this pit of human shit and urine. Tasty. All over. All over the city. This is city life in the Victorian era. So that's happening. Ima- I, I would say imagine what that smells like, but I do not. If you like I've gone camping where they have blue rooms and in this height of summer, those blue rooms, I mean, you can smell them like blocks away. But just imagine if like every apartment building had one of those. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and, you know, do you remember walking like past a dumpster in the summer in New Mexico? Like ever. Yeah, there is something about when things start to rot in the hot sun that like you don't register what the smell is. Your body's just like throw up, throw up right now. No, it's awful. It's, you know, it's a combination of just like it smells like partially like failure, someone's egg farts. Then there's like the sweetness, but it's like a sweetness that makes you uncomfortable because you realize it's trash sweetness. And then sewage, like, right below the sweetness smell. It, it is a smell that is, like, like, when I cut my hand and I was like, oh, no, that's too deep. Like, I immediately knew that this was a serious thing, you know? And, like, when I broke my nose, I had the same thing of, like, oh, no, this is not right. Like, you immediately know this. That is how I feel about that smell. Like, you're just, like, I don't, I don't want to be near there, like... my like survival instincts are telling me no but your but your heart is telling you yes (laughs) (laughs) yes that's pit little pond of poop this is only the beginning of this so the other way that they got rid of human shit was this whole profession that because it's a Victorian era, they had a really cute little euphemism for, which was nightmen who took care of the night soil. Uh, night soil is shit. And so what they would do is that they would have these pits. I'm imagining a well of poop. And the workers, the nightmen, would like go during the night so nobody could see them. And they would... They would have some people up on the surface and they would have one guy who gets lowered down into the pit on a rope. This pit is full of human shit. I cannot stress that enough. And he would like shovel out buckets of it and then they would like haul up the buckets and put it on a cart and like take it away to a farm. Oh, I'm so grossed out right now. It is super gross. And like, first (laughs) off, like, can we commend the nightmen? Can we just give them a moment of, like, deep appreciation for what their job actually is? Yeah, and apparently they made good money, and this was, like, a profession. Which, I mean, that's kind of like garbage disposal these days. Yeah, except they don't have to, like, fall into a pit and touch it with their hands. I mean, this is 1858. There's not rubber gloves. And maybe you don't have this information, but did, like, any of these people contract, like weird illnesses girl i don't have an exact answer for you i'm sure they did but remind me of this when i get to my fourth point we're on two okay (laughs) 
you have no idea how excited I am to talk about this story because this is gross and terrifying and really just contributes to my uh, theory that the past smelled like shit. <laughs> so we've got these horrifying things about how people deal with their poop and it just makes everything smell bad. But the other thing we know about the Victorian era is that it's not all like, please, sir, may I have some more peasants? It's like really fancy wealthy people too. And one of the new trendy things in this era that the wealthy people got was a flushable toilet. Dun, 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 dun. I know. I did not realize that this was so early in existence. And you might be thinking, awesome, flushable toilets. Everything's going to get clean, right? I have to tell you, there was there were these two... Well, there, it was a series of books, which was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. something, something, a peculiar history... Mm-hmm. And I had two of them, which was like, one was about like being dead, a peculiar history, and the other one was keeping clean. And it did talk about the Victorian era and the class stratification when it came to waste disposal. Uh, one, I am so fascinated by hygiene of the past. It's so weird, right? It's it's so interesting. And two, uh, when you said that one was like being dead, it reminded me of like one of our early episodes where you said everybody was being dead as hell. And it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. They were all being dead as hell or something like that. And I was like, that's the best. <laughs> Future parents of the world, I just want to point out Emily and I as an example, but what you ex- what you expose your children to <laughs> early on in their formative years does have an effect on i guess the product of their adulthood i will say as i was writing this and because there is a long running joke of how i always bring up poop in this podcast and like why am i so terrified like why is poop so gross and horrifying i mean And I was thinking about this and I was like, well, one, it just blows my mind that like the past was literally just walking through shit. And like one of the things in this book that I read was like revulsion at waste is like one of the closest things to a universal taboo that humans have because it can make you really sick. But for most of history, people just literally lived in their own shit. And that blows my mind. But also... Speaking more directly to your point, at one point when I was a little kid, like, I don't know, maybe like six to eight, somewhere around there, I don't remember what started this, but I I think I must have said something to my mom about, like, never pooping or whatever. I'm like, what if you get so constipated, you never poop, like, because kids are gross and would say things like that. And my mom was just like, you'll throw up poop. And I was like, no, you won't. She's like, yeah, you will. If you just get constipated, you'll throw up poop, which is horrifying and disgusting and as a little kid my brain just lashed onto that of like that's a real thing (laughs) and as an adult i will say it is a real thing but you have to be like if that's happening you've got a lot more going on in your body that's going wrong than just being constipated but i really you're probably really over the gross part of all of it yeah yeah like if you're throwing up poop you're like i'm close to death this seems right but uh, (laughs) i think as a little kid with an active imagination that just stuck in there and that i don't know that's a theory freudians are having a field day but um (laughs) 
So to go back to the original point and to answer the question of why does Emily always bring up poop? Well, we've just done that. But to go back to the original point, so the, the, the wealthy are getting these flushable toilets and you think, okay, this is going to make everything better because we're flushing and pushing all this water and waste out to where? And this is where we start getting problems because we've got a ton of people all of a sudden. We've got people making a ton of waste and London, the ancient city, is still running on medieval sewers, I put in quotes, because again, that river, all of their water sources, both for drinking and for getting rid of their waste, were basically just like little culverts that would run into the Thames. So you have lots of shit seeping into the groundwater, you have lots of people flushing shit, and it just kind of goes into the river and then gets sucked back up into the drinking water, and it just kind of stays there. Like, it doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) So, long silence. (laughs) I mean... Emily, do you care to define what a bayou is? Oh, I lived in a bayou. Let's look at Louisiana. Louisiana is where a Mississippi River ends, and the Mississippi River is huge, but how it ends in the Gulf of Mexico is pretty uh, anticlimactic. It basically just, like, dissolves into, like, a thousand tiny streams and swamps and uh, wetlands and a coastal line, which is being eroded at a massive rate. Louisiana loses something like 100 square feet a day or something. Um, like when I lived there, they were like, oh, we need to, you know how like signs that say the speed limit will have a picture of the state? People were like, oh, the state doesn't look like that anymore. We need new signs because the oil and gas company has eroded our coastline. Anyway. That's a bayou. I didn't find anything that said that London was a swamp, but I think it probably kind of was. Like, Manhattan was kind of swampy before it became a big city. And I imagine that this was, you know, the Thames still does flood sometimes. And it is so close to the um, ocean that the river has, like, high tides and low tides. So I I bring this up because, one, it's relevant to think about. That area is a swamp, but two, I think you know this, but I did live in Georgia for some time, and I I did grow up in the swamplands. Swamps smell bad too. They do. They smell like egg farts. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, when I lived in Houston, Texas, for a while, Houstonians at that time period had a nickname for these huge sewage sewage systems that would run through neighborhoods of poor people and do you know what they called them no bayous oh no. <laughs> so when you're like do you know what a bayou is and i start talking you're like no 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 not that one. <laughs> oh no but all of this is super super relevant because i happen to live again this this is you know history for our listeners but i grew up very poor and at the time, I happened to, in Houston, I happened to be in a very poor area where the large sewage system, so it would be like, I mean, the only way to really describe them are trenches, but trenches of sewage system. And you can literally see 
shit floating through the waters of these sewage systems, but I live very close to them. And then the summer, combined with both the heat and the humidity, plus, you know, add the pollution and everything else that comes with Houston, I, it just smelled so bad. And it was so bad, like, the scent was so strong. It didn't just infiltrate your sensory experience, right? Like, I would come to school and my clothes would smell like, you know, belovedly a bayou. Yeah, well, and also, like, what you're describing, too, like, you read in books where they're like, the stench was so thick, you could, like, feel it. And, like, no, that's real. Like, it's, you're, like, it's thick. It's like when you're so hungover that you're like, I'm sweating alcohol. It's like that, but it's not coming out of your own sin. It's like the outside world coming into your pores. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's it's crazy because um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but, you know, class stratification plays an important part in history and contemporary world, and that hasn't changed no matter how much everybody likes to try to say that America is a classless society. Oh, the way that we, like, create environments for poor people that are detrimental to their health and are, like, unconscionable to anyone else could be its own episode, like, and probably should. It's insane. We are living in the Victorian era, except possibly even worse. At least most of us don't have to, like, empty buckets of our own shit into our basement, though. I mean, most of us. Mm -hmm. But I will add one more thing to this before you jump back in because it's just a fun fact but when i was growing up and i was living in that area i was around when they found a severed hand floating (gasps) in the bayou shut up oh my god this is why you are the way you are (laughs) (laughs) i'm broken in so many ways (laughs) oh also i was like oh that's so exciting and gross I feel like that's going to happen to my hand. It's a shitty hand. Ah. <laughs> so anyway, shit rivers, shit ground, shit pools. So now I get to talk about, we've talked about poop. The other thing that I love to talk about, old-timey infectious diseases. Delicious. These are my favorite. Yeah. I get to talk about cholera, which is horrifying. And cholera is not really contributing to the Great Stink, but it's it's like hand in hand. And if you understand how people approach cholera, you kind of understand the Great Stink, which is the original topic. <laughs> Sorry, Clint. Anyway, so let me first of all tell you what cholera is and how you get it. It's so gross and it's crazy. I'm, I'm sure I should have given you numbers of how many people died of cholera in history. I don't have it, but you get cholera from drinking contaminated water, and the water specifically has to be contaminated with the fecal matter of another human who has the cholera virus or whatever. And what happens when you get cholera is that it attacks your lower intestine, I think, and you basically just get like diarrhea, 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 you die of dehydration and it's super awful and you're like cognizant the whole time and you're like, oh my God, this is the worst. And one of the telltale signs of cholera is super gross. It's called rice water stool. 
And what it is, is like, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to diarrhea and you diarrhea, but it's just like water and then what looks like rice. Tasty. And the rice is actually like your epithelial cells from your lower intestine because your body is so fucked up that it's just like shedding your lining. Cholera is gross. It's gross how you get it. It's gross what happens. And people die of this. Like throughout history, it's been a huge killer. But do you know how they treat it and why we don't have it now? Mm, please tell me it has something to do with eating healthy shit. It, it's just the cure is to like rehydrate. Like basically if you just give people Gatorade, they'll shit out all the virus and be fine. I read this in two places that there, there have been like contemporary studies like in the 80s and 90s. Uh, where scientists, it's so safe that they can purposely infect people with cholera and there's like basically no risks because they're like, we don't even have to give you an IV drip. You just drink enough water and you will, you'll be sick for a couple of days, but you'll be okay. So shit leads to really shitty shit. Right. I mean, it's- non-shit water means like not shitty shit. I mean, I think it's basically like if you got food poisoning, because food poisoning is the same thing. You ate poop germs and your body is like, ugh, get out of me. (laughs) Oh, but it has its own name. Yeah, it's... And there's a book, like, named after this era or whatever. Yeah, so cholera has killed thousands of people throughout history, probably millions, because before they knew what would cure it or they before they understood it um they wouldn't give you water you know they'd bleed you or give you weird things and also of course they did even if they did give you water if you are throwing your diarrhea full of cholera into the courtyard and then that's seeping into the ground and then you go to grab well water out of that same courtyard you're just reinfecting yourself that's what really happened so there was like london had a couple waves of cholera really really big ones and um i think i mentioned this in an early one that this scientist called john snow was working off of this theory that what makes us (laughs) sick yeah you're picturing kit harrington aren't you yep i know he's a sexy man i'm picturing him too but this real john snow was like did not look like Kit Harrington. Was he not as pretty? I'm sorry, who is as pretty as Kit Harrington? I mean, I can name lots of people, but Chris Hemsworth, that's about it. Yes. You and well, I. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I not only am I pretty as, but prettier in my opinion, but whatever. He's and got then there. Listen, I am not caught up on Game of Thrones, but I still I love the little it's a very old scene now when he's with Egret and you see his butt and he like jumps into a pool and you're like, oh, Jon Snow, he's got a nice, uh, maybe it's a butt double. Whoever's butt that is, is a great butt. Someone has a great butt. So the original Jon Snow um, was like, look, I think that cholera is coming from groundwater. Well, he didn't know butts, but he was like, I think it's coming from the water. And this was a pretty revolutionary thing because at the time, people were really into this miasma theory. And the miasma theory held sway for a long time. And it was this idea that you get sick from bad air. 
And so mm-hmm. if you read a lot of like Victorian literature or or you you see contemporary things or even when they do um remakes, you know, the the people will talk about like oh the foul air or like oh, you know, covering your nose with a handkerchief or like it smells bad like they're not thinking this is just stinky they're thinking something that's stinky is going to make me sick and so this was the prevailing idea of sickness at the time and so a lot of and again talking about class stratification people were thinking okay all the poor people are getting cholera because they're gross and smelly and they're like that's why they're terrible but a couple of these cholera outbreaks would like hit people all across different stratus statuses. And so Jon Snow mapped this out and was like, listen, the miasma theory is bullshit. And he was investigating like, where do these wells get their water? Like, where do these pumps come from? And they found a couple things like one that some of these companies would draw water. Most of the companies drew water from the Thames. And I said earlier that the Thames has a high tide and a low tide. And they were like, okay, well, these companies draw it from low tide, if I'm remembering this right. And so when it's at low tide, if you've ever been at a beach at low tide, all the like dead stuff and weird trash and stuff is still there. And so he's like, well, these pumps that draw from low tide are like just drawing shit water back up for people to drink. And if you draw the water from high tide, then they'll be not as cholera-ish. They'll have less cholera. There will be less cholera. So he had proved this a lot earlier. Jon Snow actually died in 1858, which is the year that this happened. And the miasma theory was still pretty popular. Like people really thought that this was how you got sick and what happened. And so all of these things about cholera were really scary. Um, You know, oh my God, we're having outbreaks. Our poop is everywhere and we don't even care because we're so used to it. Blah, blah, blah. Now we're getting to the great stink. What was the great stink? Well, it's hot. The Thames is full of shit. And in 1858, the heat and the shit was so bad that the whole city stunk like horribly unbearably stinky and the contemporary thing like descriptions of the thames are horrifying they compare it to like the river sticks they say it's brown water should not be brown uh, especially moving water one anecdote that you see a lot is that parliament which is a really famous building the houses of parliament they soaked the curtains with chloride of lime to try and like keep the smell out and again this is where they thought oh my gosh the smell is going to make us sick and it didn't work (laughs) like you could still smell it because of the thames because of how much the thames another source that i found said that because the heat wave was so high all of the poop was fermenting and i also want to read this passage which is from high literature and by high literature i mean a mystery novel written by philip pullman but it's very well researched and i loved it and he's talking about the river thames like in the uh victorian era and let me just story time but in the older parts of the city there were dozens of springs and streams that had been completely forgotten Not more than trickles for the most part, but some of them carried substantial volumes of water, much more after a rainfall when the water had had time to soak into the soil. 
And along with the springs and rivers, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of ancient sewers, some blocked and crumbling, others still just flowing, but all of them crusted with filth and slime and alive with frogs and rats and eels. One of these lost rivers had been called the Blackborn. It rose deep in the ground under a spot in Hackney, blah, 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 uh, where there had once been a monastery, but which by this time was occupied by a pickle factory. It flowed meanderingly south and eventually slouched into the Thames somewhere near the Tower of London. By the 13th century, it was already an open sewer, flowing not only with household waste and dead dogs, but also with the byproducts of paper mills, tanneries, and soap boilers along the banks, so that Blackborn water became a synonym for unspeakable filthiness. By the 17th century, it had been built over and lost, but it still flowed on, and in 1646, a heavier rainfall caused three houses to collapse into it. Fifteen people were drowned, and three more were never found at all in the putrid swamp. Soon after that, it was built over and forgotten, but it still ran. The very or the forgotten sewers still emptied their filth into it, and the various abominations that had trickled into it since then had made it no sweeter. All kinds of things contributed. A leaking drain under a slaughterhouse in Stepney allowed vast quantities of blood to seep into an ancient culvert running below it, and thence into the Blackborn. A dye works in Shoreditch discharged all its waste chemicals into a convenient pit in the yard behind, which absorbed them gratefully and conveyed them through various channels into the river. The brick wall built roughly in 1665 to shore up the side of a plague pit had begun to crumble, and the Blackborn was leaching out the essences of several dozen long-dead plague victims to add to the mixture. All in all, it was a powerful, powerful brew, and when it moved sluggishly in dry weather, it released gouts of nauseating stink through crumbling bricks and loose flagstones into a hundred cellars, and little by little, it scoured away ancient mortar and lime and cement when it was swollen after a storm. So listen, we've been talking about poop, but the Thames is also full of, like, corpses and blood and dust. Like, all these people moved here for industrial purposes. Industry is just doing the same thing that all these people are doing right just throwing it in a yard yeah i'm really latched on to this dead body thing (laughs) i mean i've heard that description a couple times of like dead things floating in rivers actually i even told a story once about seeing like a dead dog floating in the culvert in baton rouge and that was only like a couple years ago so when i say that the thames was disgusting and started like fermenting in the heat and stinking up the whole city this is very real okay anyway so everything is gross the thames is fermenting and stinking and remember how i said that the original john snow was like yo dog germs that we ingest make us sick and everyone was like no way it's icky smells of course well because people believe that one of the things that the great stink did was create this need to address this and so this guy sir joseph Bazalgett, was essentially tapped to make this huge and elaborate sewer system and it took 10 years for him to complete he had constructed 82 new miles of new sewers <laughs> i read this thing that said The new sewers moved London's waste eastward beyond the city, where it could flow more easily into the ocean, which is like, okay, great, lovely. Like, now it's just in the ocean. (laughs) But it also, like, created this idea of, like, let's not pollute the river. Let's, Let's kind of, like, you know, be good. 
I just said I just saw this in my notes. They're kind of out of order, but prior to this, there were two hundred thousand cesspits and three hundred sixty sewers. So remember when I was saying like every apartment building had this horrible like tiny pond of human shit? Well, yeah, there are two hundred thousand of them. One of the things I I told you we'd come back to this when we were talking about cholera of like did the nightmen have these diseases? I mean, I'm sure they did. One of the things that people point to for the great stink was that people would have inflamed eyes and throat, cough, difficulty breathing, because the fermentation would create methane and sewer gas. But one of the things that Jon Snow pointed out was like, well, if bad smells cause cholera, then the nightmen should have tons of cholera, but they didn't. They, they had kind of normal rates of everyone else. So anyway, so... And also, I was going to say, if you read historical novels, um, either that were written at the time or that are written in more modern times and is set there, there's a lot of novels about rich people going to the country in the summer. And part of it is things like this, of like how bad London would smell. And and they call it the Great Stink. I, can't, I literally cannot imagine how bad this would be. But anyway, so Sir Joseph Bosligat's sewers like work and... Many of them are still in use today. Bum, bum, bum. What? Yeah. Really? One of the things I kept seeing that, like a lot of them are still in use today. And I was like, interesting. And I saw one source that was like, you know, because the Victorians like over-engineered it, they planned for way more people than they thought they would have. And so these sewers are still in use because they were so well-engineered. But two things. One, when I was a small town Idaho reporter, one of the cities that I reported on was having this huge, like, replacing the infrastructure of their water system because it worked, but it was old. And, like, you know, water going through pipes is eventually going to, like, rust out and oxidize, and you're just going to have holes that are going to leak. And for this town that I was reporting on, it was mostly talking about water going into your sink right there are holes in those pipes all along the ground and it's just wasting water and those those pipes were not even 100 years old really but you know they're gonna corrode that's just the nature of things and so i really don't know that brick sewers are preventing that from happening i'm sure that they're leaking into the groundwater but so interestingly one source was saying like the thames is considered one of the cleanest rivers that flows through a modern city today like which to me i'm like okay well the bar seems pretty low like was it Cuyahoga in ohio that you could like light a match and like throw it and it was like wow the river's on fire like but then i found this other 2016 guardian article that says i'll just read it it says that it's describing the Victorian sewers as it's still the, quote, backbone of London sewers. But the backbone is now severely strained, quote, with a still expanding population, dramatic downpours associated with climate change and the loss of green spaces to soak up the excess, the Thames is once again at risk. Baslegat provided for extreme weather with overflows into the river to prevent the flooding of homes and streets. And those overflows are now being used more than ever, around 50 times a year dumping raw sewage under the nose of present-day MPs in Westminster. So basically we're getting the same problem over again where we are overflowing more than we thought we would and so raw sewage is still going directly into the river. Which, as we know, is Mm -hmm. delicious. And so, like I said, the Great Stink, disgusting. All the lead-up, 
horrifying, but it did result in some positive infrastructure. But I'm not done. I could be. Clint probably hopes that I'm done. <laughs> but I have one more great to get to, and this is The Great Smog of 1952. Have you heard of this? Um, actually, I do know about The Great Smog. It is fucking nuts. All right, so I wrote in my notes, so in 1952, we have another convergence of man and weather. And now I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? 1952, my birthday, Krampusnacht, the day that Prohibition was repealed, December 5th, a mighty day. There was a period of cold weather, it's December, in London, uh, as well as this thing called an anticyclone. What is an anticyclone? Look, I looked up what Wikipedia described it as, but Wikipedia was like, let's get technical. And I'm like, well, I don't understand this. But basically, it seems to be some kind of weather pattern where the high-low pressure winds like reverse. And so warm air will get trapped at the bottom or the top or something. I don't know. Fog happens and it's really cold and there's no wind. Maybe like an inversion, if you know what that means. So we have this terrible weather pattern and it's cold already it's a damp place and it's 1952 so it's right after world war ii um people are starting to kind of be like oh maybe we don't have to basically starve all the time um we're starting to get money we we want to like rebuild our spirit right and so one of the things that they do is as it's cold they're going to turn up the heat in 1952 jennifer what was the heat situation how did you turn up the heat i mean it sounds like it's probably still coal yeah lots of coal yep you would have little like in a cartoon of a train (laughs) you'd have little coal bricks and you'd throw it on a fire or something i don't know um so people would just burn coal like just straight up burn coal which i don't know if you know this but that makes for some really nasty smoke So the smoke is mixing with this fog and it's really cold, there's no wind, and it gets gross. They describe it, London describes it as a, quote, pea super when the fog is really thick like this. And, you know, throughout the Victorian era and into the 1950s, London was really famous for its fog, like exacerbated by this pollution. So, so fog is just basically like a cloud on the ground, low hanging <laughs> condensed air. Yeah. But coal, not because I'm from North Carolina or anything, <laughs> has dense particles in it, which combine the two equals smog. Yes. And if you've ever lived in California, uh, California has a history of smog. Smog is a combination of condensed air and pollution. Yes. Thank you for telling me about the smog. That was, that's basically what's happening here, but to a degree that we really can't imagine. On December 5th, it says that within a few hours, the fog became this shade of yellow brown, like because there was so much soot pumped into the air that this didn't look like fog. It looked like literally brown fog. Um, It's also- Butt farts. What? I said butt farts. Yeah, butt farts. Sharts, if you will. It's also 1952, so there's cars at the same time. London is still very much a factory town. Diesel-fueled buses are happening instead of an electric train system. It's all very, very bad. Some of the things like 
people who were walking outside, like you'd be walking and you couldn't see your feet. It was really dangerous. There were um, people who died by like getting hit by cars because cars could turn their lights on in the middle of the day and not see anything. Crime increased. There was looting. People would run up and grab purses because like you can't see anything. Movie theaters closed because if you were sitting there, there was so much grime in the air and so much smog that you couldn't see the screen. One thing I read said by the time they returned home, like people walking home from work, their faces and nostrils were black. Londoners resembled coal miners. Okay, that's pretty gross. Isn't that insane? And so this happened for four days of just like straight up like claustrophobic. You can't see anything. There's this really good book, which is where a lot of where this information comes from called Death in the Air. And it's about this great smog. But at the same time, there was a serial killer. And so the book is about both of those. I'm not going to talk about the serial killer, but it's an amazing book and you should read it. Probably made killing easier. I Yeah, exactly. And like, um, so... You know, infrastructure is kind of shutting down, right? People are closing things. It's still getting really cold. And so people are burning more coal. And the government is like fighting over what to do. Like some people are like, we can't tell people to like risk freezing to death, especially since they just survived World War II and we're trying to rebuild. And other politicians were like, you have got to like ration this or it's just going to get worse. And one of the things that people didn't really realize was that not only is this like inconvenient and dangerous because you can't see but do you think it's good to breathe in pollution no there's no such thing as like asthma caused by pollution or black lung (laughs) caused by coal mining and dark mines that kind of thing yeah no but so people who had like asthma already were really fucked people were dying really fast and and hospitals were like getting overwhelmed and couldn't figure out what was going on they're like this is just a pea super what's this is just a pea super what's wrong with you emily does an accent (laughs) it says that it wasn't until people began to like run out of coffins like um people were like undertakers were like i don't have room here like it can't do this that people were like wait a minute maybe this is dangerous One source I found said that deaths from bronchitis and pneumonia increased more than sevenfold. And in the East End, which is the not so great part of town where there's going to be more industry, it says that the death rate increased ninefold. Initially, and again, this only lasted four days. By December 9th, you know, the weather pattern changed and um, the wind kind of blew this stuff away. But the initial sort of death toll was 4,000 as a direct result of this great smog. However, and you knew there was a however because it's this podcast, the estimates now are closer to 8,000 to 12,000 people dying directly as a result of this. Is it because poor people and elderly aren't real people? Yeah, and also I think too just, I think now there's a lot of awareness of this idea of exposure to something having an outsized effect on you later um like this idea of like okay well this is a known carcinogen so you might not get sick while you're working with it but you know in five years you might and it's going to be because of that i think that's a really common narrative now but i think you know in 1952 1953 it was kind of like well i didn't get sick so i'm fine you know what i mean like i think that uh epidemiology seems to have changed a little bit yes and what this actually resulted in, believe it or not, is the first Clean Air Act, which was passed in 1956 and started putting restrictions on burning coal for private uses. 
Mm. Which I'm sure... As I drink a sip of water. Yeah, I was just going to say, which also I'm sure Trump is going to try and repeal any and all Clean Air Acts, so we'll be seeing more of this. London did start transitioning away from coal as a heating source um, into gas, oil, and electricity. And there were still, like, all the way, London had another fog in 1962 that killed 750 people, which is insane. Like, that wasn't that long ago. And interestingly, they're still studying this because it was so intense and deadly and this idea of, like, well, what were the particles that caused people to die and what do we know about this? And studying China now, which China has had its industrial revolution kind of behind Europe, and you can see, you know, there have been some really insane um, pictures that have come out of like Beijing in the last five or 10 years of smog so bad that, you know, you can't see anything in, in Beijing or whatever. But people who study that now people will look at Beijing to try and understand what happened um, in 1952 and and they're seeing some real parallels between those two pollutant events the end yeah it's a good point to bring up because I mean industrializing nations is still a thing that's relevant to you know the contemporary world and a lot of people aren't aware of that either there are places that aren't industrialized yeah and the other thing that i think is interesting about as i was writing this and originally i was writing about the fire and the sewers and the smog but one of the things that really terrifies me is like a breakdown in infrastructure like listen i'm all for overthrowing our capitalist system but uh <laughs> in between fixing all the problems and getting a new system of government like infrastructure can break down so quickly and like you had a good point of like oh well garbage workers and like you know we flush toilets and like very very few of us understand where that goes or the huge industry and and powerhouse and like pinnacle of human engineering that is a wastewater treatment plant or um, by the way if it's yellow please let it mellow because you're using lots of water to flush a little piss down the toilet or just I, pee in the shower it's okay I, I mean honestly i listen i whenever a zombie apocalypse comes up in my class this is what i say to my students and it's my real plan i am so afraid of this and i tell everyone and now everyone's gonna know my thing in an apocalypse situation, or it doesn't even have to be an apocalypse, just, hey, all of a sudden you're in Syria and you're getting bombed. When you loot that Walmart, you're going to steal antibiotics and you're going to steal bleach because you are going to run out of potable drinking water so fast. You know, I've been in a flood, like I lived in an area that flooded and there was a real risk that they were going to have to shut off the water systems if the rain didn't stop. And so what they were telling people were like, fill up your bathtubs, like fill up like gallons of water, fill up all your pots with water, because if they have to do that, you're not going to be able to drink water. You're going to die really fast. Don't flush your toilet, etc. But so the second infrastructure gets threatened and you don't have a wastewater treatment plant, you're going to want to get that bleach to kill all of those like cholera and microbes and, and put a little just a little tiny tiny bit in your water and purify it because or, you know learn how to purify water with fire 
I mean, yeah, or, you know, but this is why I always say bleach, because bleach will fucking kill anything. So, like, if you get a cut, this is why I also say antibiotics, because, yeah, weapons and food are great, but you can figure that out. But, like, you get a cut and you don't have soap anymore, well, you're dead. But you got some bleach, just throw the bleach on it. It's not the best. It's gonna hurt, but it'll keep you alive. You'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, this is not a life hack for general life. This is legitimately in... Oh, horror situation and also you shouldn't take advice from me anyway but yeah I mean I think we have so much infrastructure around us that's invisible that we take it for granted and these story like these things are really horrifying in and of themselves like thousands of people dying from smog or like you know wading through ankle deep shit ponds but it's really close to our modern life like people had to work really hard to like come up with things to get us out of those situations and we don't think about all of that infrastructure that makes our lives possible the way that our lives are now today and you know we have politicians that are trying to undo all that hard work too so and the in the name of american freedom i mean somehow coal mining and breathing polluted air and drinking polluted water and Teflon that kills birds upon being heated. Somehow that's freedom. Well, Just saying. The, yeah, I mean, the problem, I think, is that politicians have created this narrative of let industry do whatever or you won't have a job and you'll starve. And that's a false choice. The choice is... Like, those are choices that people have set for us. But we can turn around and say, no, that's not appropriate. You work for me. Industry works for me. Industry is not above the law. Stop polluting my river. Stop holding me hostage. Because you're essentially saying, like, a job today or your health tomorrow. And... And that's a false choice. I I lived in Louisiana, and people used to joke about Cancer Alley because the oil industry polluted so much between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And they were a major employer, and nobody there would vote against the oil and gas industry because they're like, well, my dad works for that company. And it was like, these industries have brainwashed an entire region into accepting poor health, into accepting that this is how things have to go. And it doesn't. These are good examples. You know, the Clean Air Act was passed by politicians saying, we can't keep poisoning people. And you know, creating these sewers was passed by the same thing. And in some cases, in both of these cases, it was individuals saying, I'm powerful and I don't want to do this anymore. But it's also like the citizens saying, you can't exploit me because I guarantee you that in both cases, there were people who were like, I really don't care if this hurts people. I'm making money. Well, and I mean, one, we've forgotten like majority rules, minority rights. And two, like none of these systems can survive without people behind them they need us more than we need them yeah absolutely i think that i mean i think about the way that like you know this goes back to our just chit-chatting but like how minimalism in millennials actually are changing the landscape for businesses everybody likes to be like millennials are killing like napkins and uh, retail, but the reality is, is that this is just a, re- a reflection of supply and demand, which everybody likes to talk about how American that bullshit is. So listen, if people are moving away from stuff and focusing on experiences, look at how retail is changing to focus on experience. Look at how movie theaters, especially, 
are changing to focus on experiences. That's the thing about an economy. People talk about capitalism, but an economy like ours, which is it adjusts to supply and demand. Yeah. So if you don't want to live in coal fog and you don't want to drink shit water, stand your fucking ground. Well, not only that, but like, do you not want to live in shit water? Well, then pay the people who take your shit water away a livable wage. Like, I think a move towards a service economy that you're pointing out, you know, more and more and more of us are in jobs where we're essentially performing services and it's no longer considered, you know, this, oh, I'm going to turn my nose up at a service job. It's like, oh, I'm going to get a service job because it's all I can get. And we have this huge swath of people working service jobs because, you know, computers and technology and robot are replacing skilled positions, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I think it's time that we start banding together and fucking unionize and also say, like, I'm a teacher. Like, I worked hard. I have a master's degree. I still don't think that a McDonald's worker should, like, somehow suffer or have to work three jobs just to survive. I think everyone should be able to survive on one one salary. And exactly. when the and baby I- boomers die, we will have that. <laughs> I mean, I have a profound respect for people who do things like cook my food. Why? Because I'm confident that my food was prepared safely for the most part. I mean, accidents happen, but that's anywhere. I didn't die from it, so we're good. I had a little bit of diarrhea. World's okay. (laughs) You know, but that's hard fucking work. Like, I don't, I, you know, I challenge, you know, the homemakers in the world to say that cooking is not hard work planning meals is not hard work or stuff like you know i do have house cleaning service and they do an amazing job and i have a profound amount of respect for them and you know i i try to make sure that when i'm bringing them into my home i'm not bringing them into an environment that makes them go god damn it i hate this person (laughs) but then also like even what i do is a service yeah teaching is a service Well, and this goes back to what you said of, you know, people realizing that we don't need corporations, they need us. I think this ties back to this idea of like, we, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, you know, the the uber wealthy CEOs, I want Americans to realize we don't need those people. You know, there's, being a billionaire should be illegal. It is insanely way too much wealth for one person. And we somehow have this attitude in America of like, well, they earned it. And I'm like, fuck that. So did the person at McDonald's who's basically starving. And it's time for us to stop identifying with the CEO and start identifying with the people who are actually like us and say, no, this isn't fair anymore. I mean, there are plenty of people running companies or who are extremely wealthy who one inherited it or two they don't actually have an expertise they have a general understanding of something and everyone else who has the expertise who knows the things who innovate actually those are those are the people on you know the front lines doing the hard work those motherfuckers haven't earned anything yeah they what they know how to do is hire lawyers to keep you out of taxes and to exploit loopholes and to shut down like people pushing against you by burying them in lawsuits like yeah i mean tesla is a great example but also fucking you know theranos is a great i mean literally almost any company is a great example yeah of people who are extremely wealthy but did not earn it it's not because they didn't earn it because they were smart they just earned it because they had a certain amount of privilege 
Yeah. And I mean, I think that everything that we've talked about today is a really good example of how we, you know, we shit on the Victorian so much, but what the Victorian era had was like unchecked power and money and privilege for a small amount of people. And yeah. we fought really hard to get out of that and we're sinking back into it. I mean, that was the whole thing about like, people like to harken back to like the American Revolution and like defending our bad values. time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, these are people, you know, set aside the complications of colonies and colonists and look at people who were born into the Americas, look at people who they didn't have any associations where their their previous family lines, right? They didn't have any ties to England, that kind of stuff. Mm-mm. And the whole point was like, here are people that haven't earned anything coming in telling us that they have a right to our time and our money like that's what it all boils down to and that's why the american revolution started but you know we i think a lot of people are brainwashed into thinking that because you have money you own something and that's just simply not true there's not a person in this world that owns my time my mind my body anything well listen Clint is going to be really mad because this is very meandering, but I really like that we've ended on essentially (laughs) burn the motherfucker down. It's revolution time. (laughs) We are proposing a Boston tea party. (laughs) I listen, burn the wealthy, eat the wealthy, but please, please leave the sewer systems intact. Yes, that's you. Remember. We're, we're all in this together. Yeah, don't take us back in time where everything smelled like poop. Not just smelled, everything was poop. It just was poop. It was poop. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. Okay, sorry, that took longer than expected. Found a little cat vomit.